What is in a name? And why is properly naming Russian irregular military forces important? That's the subject of this episode of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. Names are important. Confucius is attributed to saying, If names be not correct, language is not in accordance with the truth of things. If language be not in accordance with the truth of things, affairs cannot be carried on to success. When affairs cannot be carried on to success, proprieties do not flourish. When proprieties do not flourish, punishments will not be properly awarded. This concept is very apt regarding those persons often described as mercenaries. Welcome to Episode 81 of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. I'm Chris Mayer, retired U.S. Cavalry Colonel, former instructor of the U.S. Army's Command and General Staff College and the Naval War College. These podcasts describe what I think every citizen should understand about war, peace, and the gray area in between. If you think these podcasts are worthwhile, please hit like and subscribe or follow, and maybe leave a comment. These podcasts are not monetized or subsidized in any way, nor do they represent anyone's opinion but my own. Mercenaries and quasi-mercenary organizations are frequent topics in these podcasts. These actors really fulfill the name of this podcast series as they've always been present in warfare, yet constantly change, much like war itself. In the last few decades of the 20th century, there were several attempts in international law to address mercenaries. In my opinion, these attempts failed to both identify a problem or to properly describe the irregular combatants these efforts intended to address. In this episode, I'm going to describe why current terms used for these organizations are inadequate and why it's important to name them properly. Follow-on episodes will intend to generate thought about what we could call them so those names will be, as Confucius advocated, in concordance with the truth. There are two reasons why proper naming of these organizations and persons is important. The first is accountability. The law, including the law of war or other international law, treaties, and conventions, is made up of words. In most cases, these words are carefully crafted and what words are left out are as important as what words are left in these legal documents. If the words of the law exclude a specific person or activity, then that person or activity cannot be held accountable under that law. The second reason is that misnaming a person or entity alleged to be violating the law can have the unintended effect of damaging the reputation of entities that are named properly by that term. Sometimes, encouraging that guilt by association may even be intended. Now here's a fictitious example. Let's say that we start calling cocaine dealers druggists. If the use of that term becomes general without maintaining the clear distinction between illegal drug dealers and prescription druggists, it could cause confusion and adversely affect the reputation of licensed and regulated pharmacists. Now, what does that mean in practice? Let's start with the Russian paramilitary force, the Wagner Group. Calling it a mercenary outfit is actually inaccurate. The common dictionary definition of mercenary is a professional soldier hired to serve in a foreign army. Although that definition may apply to certain Wagner operatives, it does not apply to the organization as a whole. At the simplest level, Wagner is a Russian organization working for the Russian state. 
the real problem in misnaming Wagner is an accountability. Now, if someone were to bring to trial a Wagner operative for being a mercenary under the Geneva Conventions or even the International Convention Against Mercenaries, it's unlikely that the accused would be found guilty, at least under that charge. Not in a fair trial, anyway. Under Additional Protocol 1 to the Geneva Conventions and the International Convention Against Mercenaries, there are five elements that have to be proven to convict someone of being a mercenary. These are A. The person was specially recruited locally or abroad in order to fight in an armed conflict. B. The person was motivated to take part in the hostilities essentially by the desire for private gain and, in fact, is promised such gain. C. The person is neither a national of the party to the conflict nor a resident of the territory controlled by a party to the conflict. D. The person is not a member of the armed forces of a party to the conflict. And E. He or she was not sent by a state which is not a party to the conflict on official duty as a member of its armed forces. An example of that would be a a liaison or a military observer. Now, the International Convention Against Mercenaries expands the scope from just armed conflict to include attempts to overthrow or undermine the constitutional or territorial integrity of a state. The key word is at the end of the fourth criterion, the word and. This means that all five criteria must be met for an individual to be convicted of being a mercenary. This is a very difficult thing to prove, and particularly the second element to prove that the individual was motivated essentially by the desire for private gain. Professor Jeffrey Best famously wrote that any individual who could not exclude himself from the poorly drafted definition of mercenary deserves to be shot, and his attorney with him. So. In a fair trial, the alleged mercenary is unlikely to be found guilty of being a mercenary and would go free on that charge. But there's more. First, being a mercenary is not a crime under the Geneva Conventions, including Additional Protocol 1. If the person is actually determined to be a mercenary, then that would just mean that the individual does not have combatant privilege, nor does he or she have the right, if captured, to be treated as a prisoner of war. The International Convention Against Mercenaries does make being a mercenary a crime. But only 37 countries are parties to that convention, and Russia is not one of them. Now, of course, that's not to say that people have not been convicted of being a mercenary. Some people have been so convicted. But under very irregular court proceedings in Angola, the self-proclaimed Donetsk People's Republic, in eastern Ukraine, and in Russia. Convicting someone as being a mercenary who doesn't meet all the criteria establishes a precedent which may result in other people being tried for mercenary activity who are not currently considered mercenaries. Examples may include international volunteers, local militia not yet organized into a national army, or private security company personnel. And in fact, this is already happening. The Donetsk trial involved international volunteers who had enlisted in the Ukrainian armed forces and so clearly met all the requirements for being lawful combatants under the law of war, and they were convicted anyway. The opposite of calling entities like Wagner mercenaries is calling Wagner by a name that implies legitimacy. For example, the official name of the Wagner group is, or was, PMC Wagner, a private military company. It has also been called a private military and security company, or PMSC. 
Now, that term implies that it's a regularly constituted organization operating under the laws of the country or countries where it is registered to operate. Of course, this was untrue. Even its legally incorporated structure, with headquarters in St. Petersburg, was only for a management consulting company going by that name. Now, anyone could see that this was just a cover for Wagner's real work, but it provided Moscow with the deniability in the attempt to avoid accountability for Wagner's activity. More than the attempt to portray Wagner as being legitimate, equating it with Western rules-based PMSCs also worked to undermine the legitimacy of those same rules-based organizations. Unlike rules-based PMSCs, however, if one tried to pursue accountability of Wagner, through the law applicable to corporations, one would quickly find that there is no corporate entity to prosecute. I have only used Wagner as an example. Unfortunately, this does not apply to just the single entity known or formerly known as the Wagner Group. First, the Wagner Group may not be dead. More importantly, it was only the most notorious of Russia's many paramilitary groups, some of which I described way back in Episode 2. There are reports that there are as many as 37 Russian paramilitary organizations, 25 of which are operating in Ukraine. Half of these appear to have been created solely for the purpose of combat operations in Ukraine. Overall, these Russian paramilitary groups are operating in 30 different countries across the world, a tenfold increase over the past 10 years. If, as Confucius noted, proper accountability requires proper naming of things, then we must determine what to name these entities. And that will be the subject of the next episode of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. <laughs>